You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. everyone. Welcome to Campus Beat right here at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario. And today I'm welcoming Ms. Claire Gummo, ArtSci 17, in studio with us today. Hi, Claire. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Fantastic. Now, Claire has some exciting stories to tell us about her experiences as a Rhodes Scholar studying at Oxford University, but uh, recently uh, finished in 2017 in the Department of Political Studies. So, Claire, welcome again. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your time here at Queen's when you were doing your undergrad. Well, thanks so much for having me. So I'm originally from Calgary, born and raised, and I came out to Queens in 2013 to start my undergrad, um, which I completed, as you said, in the political studies department um, with a minor in gender studies as well. And my specialty in the political studies department was in politics and gender. Um, And during my time at Queens, I had the fortunate opportunity to be a part of some of the community advocacy work around sexual health and sexual violence. Um, And then from there, uh, I left in the fall of 2017 and headed to Oxford, where I've been for the last two years. All right. So you talked about uh, doing um, uh, work in gender advocacy. Uh, Does your research topic at the master's level at Oxford uh, fall into that category? It does. It does. So... um, the work that I did uh, in the last year revolved around um, advocacy primarily by um, sex workers around the decriminalization of sex work, comparing that with the advocacy work of transnational advocacy organizations like Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch. Um, and then I've sort of considered continued in a similar vein this year um, studying public policy responses to workplace harassment and violence. Okay, so you you talked about how uh, you did uh, your your research interests be, uh, seem to emerge during your undergraduate in the political studies department with your minor in gender studies. What do you think inspired your interests in, in the research that you're doing? Well, I think, I mean, it depends how far back you want to go. I think originally where a lot of it stems from is I was raised by uh, a single mother and she raised me to be a feminist and and we were sort of having those conversations and and thinking about um, issues around um, justice as as I was growing up. So I think that was something that a seed that had been planted early on and then um, when I got to Queens I had originally envisioned being a history major but over the course of my first year I was just so taken with the courses that I I took originally in uh, gender studies and politics that it just became very clear um, that that was going to be the route I was going to go down and then simultaneously what I really loved about my time at Queens was that my work outside of the classroom really informed my research interests inside the classroom. And so one of the most formative things for me at Queens was being a part of the Sexual Health Resource Center. Um, And that was sort of the, I was there right from my my very first month at Queens. um, And that really informed, I think, a lot of how 
prominently I came to think about um, gender and sex and race. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they all sort of flowed together for me. So some of our listeners may be aware of the SHRC, or the Sexual Health Resource Center. Did you want to talk a little bit about it and uh, what it does and the kinds of programming it offered and maybe some of the um, uh, research and, and experience that you were able to embark in while being a part of that? Yeah, I'd love to. So the SHRC is a confidential and non-judgmental resource center on sex and sexuality um, that is run um, through the SGPS, um, although it's comprised of uh, volunteers from Queens and from other institutions in Kingston and and community members in general. Um, And they provide a variety of services, everything from selling products, safer sex products and sex toys at cost to providing accompaniments to the uh, sexual assault family violence unit at the Kingston General Hospital to going out into the community, whether it's first year residences or into Kingston high schools um, to provide um, non-judgmental sex education. It's a really very varied service. Um, and it's all, it's all volunteer run. And um, yeah, as I say, it just, it really sort of sparked me thinking about issues, especially around um, consent and safer sex. And, uh, and that sort of, that really I, became a springboard for me to think about things both in a community context and an academic context as well. <laughs> Awesome. So now you have uh, been in the UK at Oxford University for the last two years, as I understand it, and you are currently working on your second master's degree. Um, And you went originally on a Rhodes Scholarship. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, so tell us about the Rhodes Scholarship. Uh, It's a pretty prestigious one, of course, uh, but uh, some folks may not know that much about it. Uh, is it something that you applied for? Uh, were you nominated? How did it all work? Right. So it's sort of a, a lengthy process. I did apply, um, but it involves a nomination process or an endorsement process is perhaps a better way to characterize it through Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a scholarship that um, started over 100 years ago now um, to send students from around the world to Oxford University and the scholarship um, enables students by waiving their tuition and then also providing uh, a living stipend while you're there. Um, And it just recently actually became completely global. So for a long time, um, it, it sort of was specific to various constituencies around the world, but just in the last year, they've opened it up so that anyone living anywhere in the world, whether they're in a state or they're stateless, um, or have citizenship or do not, are able to uh, are able to apply. And so, um, yeah, it was it was a fairly lengthy process, but it, it began um, with an application to Queens. Uh, who then endorsed my application, and and we went from there. Okay, and you and you made your application while you were still an undergrad, so this was meant for master's level uh, study. Exactly. So um, I don't exactly quote me on this, but I think there is a cap. It's either twenty five or twenty six for Canadian applicants mm-hmm. about when you can apply. So it's a combination. Um, often of undergraduate students, of graduate students, of people, of young professionals who've been working from, for some time that apply back. But in my case, uh, yes, it happened when I was at the uh, start of my fourth year. Okay, so when you were making your application, uh, what, was your, what was your research proposal? What, what did you want to do? 
So originally when I made the application, I was envisioning working in um, in, in public policy, uh, which is, is where I stayed, but sort of shifted a bit. Originally, I was thinking of comparative social policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, uh, I ended up completing an MSc in global governance and diplomacy, um, followed by the master's in public policy that I'm that I'm doing now. But the idea of um, Sort of gender mainstreaming and policy, feminist policy, um, has remained true throughout. So what were some of the findings uh, that your work, um, what did you discover while, while you were doing your work? <laughs> well, I want to be cautious to be sure that, you know, the work that I did, it was truly a, you know, one-year master's dissertation. So it was, it was nothing nearly as rigorous uh, or as thorough as um, many, I think, graduate work would be in Canada or, or doctoral work, certainly. But um, I was really fortunate to, to work directly, actually, with um, activists back home in Canada doing sort of expert research on the kind of on-the-ground sex work activism that's happening um, in, in Kingston and, and more broadly in Canada. And um, basically, my central finding was that um, while both transnational advocacy networks and um, grassroots sex work activism have the same end goal, which is decriminalization, the way that they frame that is vastly different. So, um how so? Grassroots activism generally um, tends to frame it in terms of uh, often using rights-based language, um, employment-based language, um, whereas transnational advocacy networks tend to use rescue-based language and uh, emphasize and position sex workers as victims um, and often conflate sex work and sex trafficking. Um, so uh, the same end goal, but very vastly different ways of getting there. So there's uh, a lot of subjectivities uh, at play here. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Very interesting. So and then so that was for your uh, first master's degree, which was part of your Rhodes Scholarship. Then you followed up with and you were completing a second master's degree also at Oxford. So have you been continuing the work that you set out to do with the Rhodes Scholarship? I have, yes. So the way that the Rhodes Scholarship works, it can kind of be tailor-made for the candidate. So for me, um, I received two years of funding to do these two one-year programs back-to-back. For other students, they go directly into doctoral work, and they receive three years of funding. And then others do a two-year um, master's program. So for me, I, I have continued on in a in a similar vein, um, looking, sort of shifting to look at um, workplace violence and, and harassment, actually specifically in the trucking and transport industry. And I'm just completing my research on that this summer. So no findings as of yet, but I'll keep you posted. <laughs> okay, well, please do. Please do. So um, who have you been working with? Uh, do you have a, a team, a, a cohort of fellow students? Do you have a, a specific supervisor? How does the program ultimately work uh, at Oxford? So there's sort of multiple cohorts. There's a cohort of rogue scholars that really, they work to make a, a community I spend a lot of time with and, and work with both sort of in a professional way in, in the sense that we're sort of meeting and talking about these ideas and our research, but then also in a, in a social and, and more community building kind of way. So there's that 
community that I've benefited from tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's also the cohort of the other um, Masters of Public Policy students, the other MPP students that similarly sort of operate in that dual social professional role. And then, um, and then I've, I've had supervisors as well. So my supervisor um, last year when I was doing the academic research was, his name is Dr. Ivan Minoka, um, and he's a specialty in sort of Foucauldian discourse analysis, um, especially around security and surveillance. Okay. So maybe a little bit outside of the scholarship itself, what are you doing outside of the university Are you engaging in any uh, work in uh, groups within the communities around Oxford? Yeah, so it's funny. In so many ways, Oxford reminds me of Kingston and of Queen's because they're very similar sizes in terms of a university of around 20,000 students um, and then a a broader city of around 100 to 150,000 people. And so there's sort of that similar interplay of it's hard to tell sometimes where the university ends and, and the community starts. Um, but I've been really lucky to, to work in the community as well. This is something totally separate and just kind of fun, but I joined an ice dance league, um, which was entirely non-students, um, and I had a lot of fun doing that. So it's, it's nice. It's a, it's a really fun uh, way to do something that's not at all related to discourse analysis. (laughs) Well, indeed, and people need to go out and have fun doing things that they love to do. And I'm very happy to hear that you're also having fun outside of your scholarship. So uh, now what happens after Oxford? Where are you going next? So the plan is to head uh, back home to Canada, to Ottawa, where I'm going to be starting uh, I imagine work with the federal government, um, working in public policy through the Recruitment of Policy Leaders program. I'm not sure which uh, exact department or ministry I'm going to be placed with yet, um, but the hope is that I might get to sort of continue on work in, in gender mainstreaming and, and feminist policy. That would be the dream. So we'll see, we'll see where I end up. Oh, best wishes to you. So do you feel like Thank you've you. achieved uh, the goals that you set out when you began your Rhodes Scholarship? Well, I think I, I would like to think, yes, I mean, in some senses, I think it will take some time until I have perspective, time away from, from the university um, to really consider the ways in which Oxford has, has shaped and changed me and, and how it, it sort of has um, added up to what I initially envisioned it might look like. But what I am sure of is that I was so fortunate to be there. Um, it was it was such a privilege and, and such a shock, honestly, that I was there at all. Sometimes I still can't really believe it. But um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think in the sense that what I had intended to do was just to go in and, and soak up every minute and, and not take it for granted, I, I think I did achieve that. Excellent. Well, good for you. And uh, so what about uh, mentors? Who, do, who has mentored you uh, at Queen's as well as at Oxford? Uh, how did they inspire you and help you along the way? I was so fortunate to have many wonderful mentors at Queen's and mentors both in an academic sense and in a more traditional sense. And then one of the other things I found at Queen's was just mentorship from people that were the same age as me or we were working together in sort of a horizontal context. Um, My primary mentor at Queen's was Dr. Stephanie Von Platke, who's a professor in the Department of Political Studies. Um, She and I 
first got to know one another when I was a student in some of her classes and then worked as an intern and research assistant with the Center for International and Defense Policy, which she was the director of at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was one of the first people who really encouraged me to look at the Rhodes Scholarship. Um, like I said, I still feel like it's a dream that I'm, that I'm even here. Um, and certainly when people were first encouraging me to look at the scholarship, it felt like um, it felt like a, a, a dream, and so uh, she was really, really helpful in sort of helping me to not be too cautious or, or um, undersell the opportunities that were available to me. And I'm really grateful to her for that. The thing to say about Stephanie is that um, one of the opportunities that I had this year was the Rhodes Scholarship put out a call for. Um, for nominations for this award that they have called the Rhodes Inspirational Educator Award. Um, and the second I saw it, I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to nominate Dr. Von Hatke. She's been so, so inspirational to me, really. Um, and so I put forward a nomination and sort of just described the way that she works primarily or, or oftentimes in the, in the field of security studies, which is still largely male-dominated. And I've just been so inspired by the way that just her intelligence and her confidence just really demands the respect of everyone that she works with. And Mm -hmm. um, that isn't something that necessarily that sort of um, confidence and and being so holding yourself uh, in in such a commanding way isn't something that comes naturally to me and was so inspiring and and, um, formative for me to watch and learn from. And so I put in a nomination saying precisely that. And we've learned that um, she was one of the winners this year, which is wonderful oh that's Um, that's that's great to hear fantastic yeah yeah. so so there's more um there's more information about that i think on the on the Rhodes website um about stephanie and and her impact on on me and on all of the students that are really lucky to learn from her but um she's definitely one of many reasons why queens is very close to my heart Amazing. So do you have any uh, words of advice or wisdom for uh, other scholars out there thinking of perhaps making that application for the Rhodes Scholarship and and, uh, following a path that you've taken? Yeah, well, I think that the first thing that I would say is that I think regardless of the outcome of the application, the process of applying is so meaningful in the sense that I think there's really quite rare that we have the opportunity to sit back and reflect on why do we do the things we do and how does it fit into the broader um, experiences that we've had in our life and how do we want it to fit in with where we move going forward. For me, certainly, I just felt like undergrad, I was on a treadmill and I was just running and running and running and it was hard to have the time or space to think about that. So the application itself, regardless of the outcome, is, I think, a really wonderful chance to take that time. So I would encourage people to to sort of emphasize that in, in their, their process of applying. Um, I think I would also encourage people who think that the Rhodes Scholarship isn't for them to take a second look at what the criteria are, because I thought that too. And they say, I mean, it's sort of a cliche, but the only way you know that you're not going to get the scholarship is if you don't apply. And I sort of shudder to think that I wouldn't have had these last two years if I had listened to my sort of doubting inner voice and and hadn't chosen to apply. And I think um, the final piece of advice that I would give is that prospective applicants should think long and hard about 
why Oxford, not just why the Rhodes Scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, there's tremendous prestige and opportunity that comes from the scholarship, and I, I wouldn't want to um, reject that by any stretch of the imagination. But I think what's more important and fundamental um, is thinking why why this university and and what will this university experience give me in order to accomplish um, the sort of things um, and changes that I want to make over the course of my life. Uh, And that, for me, I think was the most helpful way of framing it and thinking about it as I was preparing my application. That is solid, solid advice. So uh, what happens, uh, like we know what's happening in the in the when you return to Canada, when do you expect to finish your current master's degree? Is that happening soon? Or do you have some time to take some time off before launching into your new career? Yes, I'll finish the program um, at the beginning of September, and then I'm hoping to take um, a little bit of time, as you say, to spend some time with friends and families and just take a breather before jumping into the next thing. Um, I'll go back go back to Oxford to graduate in November, um, and then, then it's on to the next. Wow, what a fabulous adventure you've been having and sounds like some uh, new adventures are in store for you. Thank you very much, Claire. Claire Gummo, ArtsI17, for joining us here at CFRC via telephone. You're in the UK right now. Yeah, that's right. And thanks so much for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, keep in touch and uh, keep us informed of developments. We'd love to hear from you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks once again to Claire Gummo for joining us via telephone from Oxford in the United Kingdom uh, to share with us uh, all about the work that she's been doing as a Rhodes Scholar since her time uh, at Queen's University, uh, where she graduated from the Political Studies Department in uh, 2017 from the undergraduate program there and is now working on her second master's degree at Oxford University in a bit to wrap things up. So it was a real pleasure uh, talking with this fabulous individual about their awesome work and uh, we wish them the best of luck uh, with their future endeavors. And uh, and we're going to leave things off with uh, some jazz music from Tanika Charles from her album The Gumption. We're going to play a song called Look at Us Now. Thanks once again for tuning into Campus Beat. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I said that I was leaving. Had my mind made up. No more compromise. Things just got too tough Been beat down for so long I got these bruises on my soul But I got back up, took my time Reclaimed all that they stole From you and from me Been past you, plus late fee I said I came to go to tunnel to stay I got the receipts
came through in a clutch Now hold my clutch, hey Cause I'm about to stir shit up No time for breakdowns Only shakedowns You could roll with us or stay on our way now Never jaded That you can tell But if you ever took the time to wonder how we 